the one thing Chelsea is consistent at is being inconsistent. So, I know you've been waiting a few weeks to get part two, but I mean, uh, the suspense should really just be like, just building up and making you just so excited. So, really, this is all, you know, part of my plan. I'm sure you're very excited about it. Yeah, so the past uh, two weeks, I traveled across country, picked up my tools, and I'm officially starting a camper van conversion company with my partner. So I've been prioritizing that and not so much the podcast. My bad. If you are joining us for the first time, you are actually listening to part two of my interview with Eric Tate. And my name is Chelsea Nicole host of The Slide Show. I'm your insider's outsider. Or, oh wait, no, I'm your outsider's ins- I'm one of those things. Basically, I'm not a magician, but I interview magicians, get to know things, hear about their lives, their loves, their interests, and sometimes talk a little bit about magic. So without further ado, let's jump right back into the podcast. When we left off last week, I was asking Eric about his stand-up career and if he was continuing to pursue that right now, because that was what he initially started off pursuing before he transitioned into magic. So we're going to jump in and have him talking about what he's doing right now in regards to stand-up comedy. I don't do as much stand-up anymore, and then when I get booked on comedy shows these days, they're usually booking me to do magic, mm-hmm. um, but I'm very fo- I'm very focused on magic, okay. and so I'm still doing comedy magic. Um, there's just not, a, it's not a, like a, like a flat-out stand-up mm-hmm. bit anymore, mm-hmm. but I still work with comedians a lot. Mm-hmm. I still write for other comedians. Uh, I still write comedy for magicians, and I'm still doing comedy in various ways and things. Um, I would, I would argue that uh, I have, I've been out of like live comedy for so long that um, when we started doing this D&D stream, one of the things that I sort of instinctively knew needed to happen was, you know, like it's a, it's a five hour show basically where you're just like watching people play Dungeons and Dragons. But if you tune into the next week, you need to know what happened to like, because it's a persistent campaign, right? So I started making these videos that were catch up videos and they're like two minutes long. And I literally, the night before, so like when you and I are done mm-hmm. here, I'm going to make the video mm-hmm. for the stream tomorrow night. And I, what I do is I, write, I quickly write a script. I take about 15 to 20 minutes to write a script of what I remember happening last week. Mm. And then I record a voiceover and then I make the worst like PowerPoint presentation <laughs> for it where it's just like everything that I'm talking about, I throw up an image of what happens nice. and then I use hero f- I've u- we've all created like tokens of ourselves in hero forge which is so much fun if you haven't done <laughs> that yet uh but it's this like 3d modeling software that's basically free to make like miniatures so you can make like fantasy characters and then I've like taken those screenshots from hero forge and I very quickly photoshopped them on top of like memes or like stock photography to like show the action of what happened um, nice there was like a weird thing that happened during the election where like I was sort of like having a difficult time. And so there was like another character that I would like voice would come in and like focus me up as I was describing what happened. And I would, and the real, the only reason I bring that up is that I would argue that if you were to watch those catch up videos back to back to back, 
you would it would be like watching me relearn how to do comedy <laughs> since the pandemic started. Well, that's great, and I think it's great that you're doing that because it keeps you, like, yeah, uh, practice. I mean, it's practicing, like, and being yeah. you know able to do. And I think it's really cool that you wear both of those hats, and I'm really impressed by the fact that you're doing so much. Like, that is a lot. Like, I don't know how. Thank you. Like, I know you work for Penguin Magic. I know you're also yeah. podcasting, right? And Yeah, we're doing the... With that, since you and I have talked, the podcast has been around for a full year okay, now. Okay, cool. Uh, we uh, actually... Episode 69 comes out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's an interview I did with Dan Sperry. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, he talks about the break-in um, a little bit that happened to him. Because his warehouse got broken oh, into. I don't okay. know. That may have happened when you were in Vietnam. Yeah, probably. I didn't know about that. I'm very... Yeah. Uh, it's going to take me a little while to catch up about what's going on in the magic community. I feel very, like, no idea. Eric definitely knows about it. Yeah, that's... Well, yeah, so, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So... But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So, what, when it comes to um, magic, um, going back a little bit more into, like... Yeah, yeah, More yeah. specifics into the career, uh, since we, we've heard a lot about your... Um, doing comedy um when did it start becoming um a career like where you're like i guess making money or like um besides you know like going past Mm -hmm. doing tricks for people but like um yeah like like kind of like how did you get to where you are right now i think it sort of happened in like three phases Mm -hmm. um if i was if i was to really start thinking about like how it happened so like when i was in college in toronto uh, I definitely gained a love for card magic and started focusing very heavily on it um, and getting interested in like difficult and unusual slights. Um, when I had to leave Toronto because my student visa was up and they were like, you need to go back to America now. And I was like, please no. Um, then uh, what what happened was I moved to Toronto and I was very quickly brought to the Magic Castle I visited a magic shop up in, like, Santa Rosa Valley. So I lived with some... When I first moved to L.A., I lived with some family, like, north of Los Angeles. And there was a small magic shop that was manned by a magician named Bob Bolivar. Mm -hmm. Fantastic coin magician. I think he lives in Utah, maybe Idaho now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he... um, I sort of walked up to the shop, and I was like, oh, cool, magic. Uh, What do you guys have? I'm looking for, like, books or something like that. I'm, I'm into magic books. That's a thing that I like to collect. And uh, he was like, oh, we don't have any books, but uh, I can show you some things uh, if you show me something. And I showed him my party piece, which is sort of like my, it's my response to the ambitious card before I started doing what I do now. But it's like, it's sort of the opposite of the ambitious card, where it's like a bunch of magic stuff happens, but it's like never the card coming to the top of the deck over and over again. You know, but it's like I know the card, and then the card is every card in the deck, and then the card is nowhere to be found, and then suddenly it's in my pocket, like and then that. suddenly the deck is in my pocket. It's fun. It's uh, I like that because like, I've seen the ambitious card done so poorly multiple oh, times. I gotta, so I gotta show you my ambitious card. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Um, well, because it's because mine is unnecessarily difficult. Um, <laughs> and uh, but the so but I showed him this, and he was like, "Oh, uh, do you perform at the castle?" And I was like. No, I've always wanted to go. And so he invited me. He was like, you'll be my guest. And he sort of like, he had like an old men's club that he would like visit. Like everyone was like 70 plus. <laughs> and then they would like bring me. And so every Tuesday night we would go to the castle <laughs> and we would, or it was Wednesday night. And then we would go have dinner at the castle and we would go, we have the members special because the member special and a glass of iced tea was twenty two fifty. 
And if everybody brought $25, uh, or no, if everyone brought $30, uh, you would give the money all to Bob, and then Bob would pay with it for his credit card and get points, and then the server would get a healthy tip, nice. which is important. So it was, it maybe it like went up when we were there or something like that, but it was like the member special was super cheap, and like it was the best, you know, I was like a starving artist at the time, yeah, right? right? So right. I like, it was the best meal I could get all week, and it was, that was, that was it. Um, but so, uh, so he would take me week after week. And I think I was there for a year. Uh, and at the same time, on my way out there, I had gotten a job at Magicopolis that Steve Spill owned. Because Bob Sheets, I went to go on my way from Toronto. I went to go visit Scott Houghton, who taught me to juggle. And I was like, I'm going out to L.A. to do comedy. And he was like, cool, come to a barbecue. DC's on the way. And I was like, not really, but I'll drive to DC anyway. <laughs> but Bob Sheets was at this like barbecue. And Scott was like, we're going to do a show in my backyard and invite the neighbors over to watch it. So Dog did his dog act uh so scott did his dog act bob sheets did stand up so bob sheets did bill and lemon the rope and this is like in someone's backyard it's amazing it's, it's and then uh, and then i did stand-up comedy and bob was like you're really funny i hear you do magic uh you're looking for a job i know someone who's looking for a bartender all you gotta do is serve beer and wine so i like got it's like steve bob called steve and like got me the job on the spot nice so i drove to la with a job like, that's waiting amazing for me. So I started doing magic like that was where I met Dan Harlan for the first nice. time. Um, and uh, so I've like so I've effectively known Dan since, you know, I was like 26. So almost 10 years now. Nice. Uh, and so I was I so I like fell in love with card magic in Toronto and like specifically difficult sleight of hand because I didn't have room to have like props or extra books or anything like that. So it was all like whatever I could do with a deck of cards before it wore out and threw it away. Then I sort of like found my magic voice behind that bar and like in the basement of the castle in Los Angeles. Uh, and then, and like I, you know, worked the castle many times, uh, made a lot of really good friends in magic, uh, created a lot of, uh, a lot of like my early stuff and sort of like found out like where I kind of needed to be, um, was making money, but not great money. I mean, I was, you know, I was competing against the best in the world when I was in Los Angeles and I was not the best in the world. And I, you know, I was like a, I was a dumb 24 year old. So it was like, I probably made a bunch of mistakes that I definitely regret, but you know, life, mo you move on, right. right? You become a, you become a better person. Uh, then I got to Columbus and, uh, I sort of like set magic aside for a while. Wait, why Columbus? Cause that's a uh, pretty big different yeah. location to go from LA to Columbus. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's a fair question. Um, I I was I had moved to LA to become a stand-up comedian and a scriptwriter for television, and I the stand-up thing, I you know I made my rounds on the scene, never really could break into the clubs. Uh, in retrospect, like the in, in retrospect, the the it was a bad idea to move to LA to to pursue pursue stand-up comedy because. What you re if you if I was to do it all over again, I would move to Indianapolis hmm. or I would move to Columbus first and then really get known as a stand up comedy, particularly Indianapolis. Uh, my buddy Michael Malone made that very astute assumption: is if you if you go if you if you want to make it big in in stand up, you don't go to the coasts because that's where everybody goes to try and make it because those are where the big rooms are, right? Right. That's where you end up. What you need to do is go to a place that has a nationally syndicated radio show and work the club that they book from. Wow. I know more people who've gotten more exposure on the Bob and Tom show, which is which books 
uh, out of, I think they book out of the Zanies that's in Indianapolis. So if you go featured Zanies, you can be on a radio show that plays nationwide, mm-hmm. right? And that will arguably get you. So like, I think, you know, Michael Malone was on some nationally syndicated radio shows like every week because he was at, he was, that was like his home club. Um, and I've, I've advised other people to do the same thing. Okay. Like if you were going to, if you want to make it in stand-up comedy, like go get on the radio and like do radio spots for, for people. Don't try and like get seen at the big club because you're fighting against the best right, in the world, right? right, like, right. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. The Mel, like the Melrose, it's not really my story to tell, but I had a friend who got to feature at the Melrose Improv for her very first time. And I remember her telling me that the, her weekend take home was 1750 not $1,750, but $17.50 for featuring for the entire week at one of the most important comedy clubs in the country. It's because they got to pay, they got to pay, you know, nationally touring well-known headliners. Uh-huh. They got to pay their rent because it's LA. They don't own that land. Right, they got to right, pay right. their staff. They got to cover, you know, everything. Um, you know, they got to pay, you I know. I thought it was going to be like $17,000 something. You know, I don't know. No, no. $17.50. You know, Jeez. like you pay you pay one drink and you're, you're, you know, in the drink there. Yeah. You know, I know that there's a lot of people who've done very well after moving to L.A., but I've never heard of anyone who was an unknown who moved to L.A. and then made it. I've always heard of people who were already very well known in their area and then moving to L.A. and only furthering it and getting right. better. Because they probably worked L.A. when they were based in Kennebunkport, Maine or something right, like right. that. Because the... They were good enough to work the club, so the club brought them out to do it. Um, the television thing just never really hit for me. Uh, I worked in film for a little bit. I was a story editor for a production company for a couple years. Uh, I worked on the film The Joneses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's on Netflix, might be on Prime, but it's a uh, it's David Duchovny and Demi Moore, and they're uh, they're the premise of the film is something that like they're a they're a secret they they're a they look like the perfect family and like they've got they're married they got two kids they got two nice cars they golf they've got all the latest fashions but really secretly they're a team of marketers who like market to like these rich families to like sell things to like make it nice so there's all kinds of what is it it's a great movie the joneses yeah i don't know if i've seen it i know have i seen it Maybe it's really good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was I was the original story editor on that. I located a lot of the the um, product promotional tie-ins that happened in the movie that that went along with it. Uh, And there's a I think there was a couple of scenes that I worked on that ended up like making it into the final Mm -hmm. cut. The production company I was working for was going forward on it, and then I think it was Tim Roth's production company um, took it over, and then uh, and then because they could get David Duchovny Mm -hmm. and like we couldn't Uh, and so it was like that was one of the things that was really frustrating Mm -hmm. right was like not everyone who goes along with the like the writer went along the project because it was their script right Mm -hmm. but the people who did the creative work around it getting it ship shape like they didn't get to come along Mm -hmm. so like my name's not on it Mm -hmm. but I've got all these old scripts and I can be like oh here's something from the from this draft that made it into the final thing so like I've got all that stuff electronically that sounds like that would have really helped your resume or was it not like just what like to get it's it's just one of those things I can claim and I can prove that I can claim it but I like I'm not in the credits so it's like I never really got that like break moment where I was like oh I worked on this film right uh, or I worked on this TV show I got really close a bunch and it just never oh that's so frustrating so then okay so So, you're uh, telling me how you like ended up in Columbus right yeah well so I just sort of like got frustrated and was done Mm -hmm. um and was like uh 
I'm can, I can continue all of this as a hobby, but I need to not do it in LA. Mm-hmm. And I went through like a bad breakup and some other stuff. And it's just like, I was just like done with the city and needed a change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my father's company, um, uh, my uh, my father's company would have been trying to get me to come work there for them for a long time because they wanted someone who could work sort of in a marketing capacity and in some like areas, but they didn't want to, there was some stuff around like they, they knew they wanted to play in that, but they didn't really want to like, they didn't want to spend the budget on like a full-time professional on Mm -hmm. it. And they wanted me to do a bunch of other jobs like web design and things like that, that I just like, I developed all these skills doing, you know, comedy and magic Mm -hmm. and having to market myself there that it was pretty easy for them to be like, Oh, well we can pay this guy like a smaller salary and he can get done, uh, just enough to be done. Um, so, uh, so they, they offered me a job and I was like done, I was like done with LA. And so I was like, okay, screw it. I'll move to Columbus. And his company by that time, he had, my father had then moved from Knoxville to Columbus. The company that he owned was in Columbus. And so that was, so I ended up there and I was, I was with that company for, um, uh, like nine years, but in the background of that was some of like my most productive comedy years. You know, I recorded a comedy album. I did multiple small tours, got into a number of comedy festivals. And uh, I, I really fell back in love with magic and started practicing mm-hmm. again, started doing stuff. Very quickly was able to grow a number of corporate clients to the point that a lot of the entertainment was like butting up against my sort of my day job where right. I was working for this plastics company. And when so you it, said, it, uh, sorry, corporate jobs, is that when you're yeah. doing magic privately, like private magic uh, performances? Yeah, d- doing, that... yeah, do private magic for uh, corporations. Okay. It was another thing where, where I was like, you know, in moving to Columbus was really good for me and taught me a lot because in LA, I'm competing against the best in the world, right? So I was forced to get better fast, but I was still up against like, I'm still learning, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So I went, when I came to Columbus, I was suddenly, I was a guy who had been competing against the best in the world who was no longer competing against the best in the world. That's not to say the people in Columbus aren't amazing, Mm -hmm. right? uh, I've lived in three major comedy markets and visited many others uh, on doing stuff. And I put a lot of Columbus comedians up against some of the best uh, living in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles, New York, or Chicago. Uh, there, there are some very, very talented people here. Um, but it was a very different environment, a lot more collaborative. And so suddenly everything that I had learned in Toronto and Columbia and Los Angeles, I was able to finally like put it together into something that like worked. Mm -hmm. And when it came to the corporate gigs, when I started doing like private events for, for, you know, corporate clients, like private magic shows, you know, either a formal close-up sets or like walk around magic or even stage shows. Suddenly, um, I am a very attractive prospect because I'm, you know, guy who's like done all these LA things or whatever. Uh, but the companies are just as big, but I'm not competing against the same group of people for the same jobs. Right. So it's, so it's a very like, so, and I'm one of the few people in the area who can be like, Oh, I've worked the magic castle, the world famous magic castle in Hollywood that you've seen on television and film. I've worked it. Can anyone else say that? And it's like, suddenly it's a lot easier to get these clients. (laughs) So, yeah, so it just, it, it was a very good move for me for a mm-hmm, lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now talking more, a little bit more about your magic career, um, how did you get, um, hooked up with Penguin Magic? Uh, that, uh, so Colum- so Colum- there is a, part of that is moving to Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 
based the, there? Is that are they based? Are they or no? Our our studios are based here. Ah, uh, yeah. So okay, we're, okay. The the P3 Magic Theater is is based here in Columbus. Um, that that was sort of twofold. Uh, Nick Lacapo uh, had sort of become one of my closest friends in magic. You know, when I left Los Angeles, I was very frustrated with magic and magicians in general and didn't really want to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. So I would do magic, but I wasn't, like, plugged into the scene. I, and I was out of the scene for, like, 10 years and, like, not paying attention to anything that was going on, which I think was very helpful for me to, like, be able to do stuff and not be influenced by other people. Um, and I, think, I feel like Simon Lovell did the same thing at some point. But I just, like, I didn't know anybody outside of Lacapa was the only magician I knew. And when I started, like, getting drawn back into magic was when they started doing the lectures, like, uh, you know, and I started, like, being really aware of them, like, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I started, like, going to the lectures and, and hanging out. And then uh, my my partner at the time, or my partner, uh, Leslie, uh, who is uh, my, my lady partner, she had a conversation with me because I started going to magic conventions again and hanging out with other magicians and magicians were starting to hang around the house because I was actively interested in it. And uh, we had a conversation one day where she said, um, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is largely how it went, where she said, you know, you keep banging your head against the wall with this comedy thing and don't get me wrong, you're a very funny comedian. You definitely are, are, are very good at it. But as a magician, you're something special, right? Because as, as a comedian, you're just kind of another white guy and you're going to be competing in that market. But like when I watch other magicians watch you, I see their eyes pop out of their head and they're always like talking about how great this is or how wonderful that is. So why don't you set comedy aside for a bit and focus on magic? And I did that and literally within a year, um, like doubled my magic income, won the IBM close-up competition. I didn't got know invited. That. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Then <laughs> got on Penn and Teller Fool Us, and then after I taped for Fool Us, and I kind of knew I was going to be on, I went to Penguin, and I was like, hey, here's some tricks that I'd like to release. Nice. I'm going to have that Fool Us energy behind me. Maybe we could do something. So then I got offered the Penguin lecture. Nice. So that all sort of, and, and those all came out like within two or three months of each other. So I just sort of got shoved in the magic world's face over and over again. Suddenly, I'm getting invited to lectures, places, and it's you know, and it's all really snowballing. And then they uh, they had um, what? Sorry, what a year? Couple of people. What year was uh, Fool Us and that happening? Uh, Fool Us was 2018. 2018. Okay, so pretty recent. Yeah, so all all pretty recently. Yeah. Um, and then like shortly after a lot of that. So in the beginning of 2019, they had a couple of people leave the company under amicable circumstances. Just you know, people move on. And they needed someone who had camera experience and could edit, and also had a had understood magic. And I'd been ha- and I'd been hanging around the studios a long time, and it just kind of worked out where we um, we we uh, we all they were like, "Do you want a job?" And I was like, "Yeah." And uh, and then after working there at Penguin for for a couple of months. Uh, we started putting the podcast yeah, together. Yeah, I want to hear about we've... it like that. That's so cool that you, you know, how, like, you did the podcast. So, because I, I talked yeah. to you right before it was going to, like, yeah, be, like, go you were public. one of the, you were one of the earliest interviews, <laughs> which after this comes out, I can release yours. <laughs> I don't know what's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was relevant. I don't think I, I think so. Because I think I, I think it kept, I think we kept it pretty general, so that would probably work. <laughs> I th- one, well, one of the things with the podcast is that we I noticed that we had a lot of downtime mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think this is important for anyone who wants to like further your career in a company is that if you like look around 
at like what is missing, right? And so, so I sort of looked at this and went, you know, I'd been hanging around the studios for you know four months. I was shooting and working, uh, but then I noticed that there was a lot of time that we were like waiting to do stuff with the these magicians who are amazing, and they kind of like wanted to do stuff and wanted to talk to us, and they were like, "Can we do this? Can we do that? Maybe we can go there." And I was like, why don't we just like turn that into content that we can put out, right? So it doesn't like, we've already got them here. Let's just interview them for a podcast. You know, we, Penguin had a podcast a long time ago. There's no reason we couldn't have one now. Um, also, audio was my weakest area mm -hmm. as an editor. And so I was like, well, if I have to do a podcast, I have to learn audio. So it'll make me a better editor and it'll make me better at my job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um and then uh, I also saw an opportunity where I was like, we can, if we can get people listening to the podcast, we can sort of tastefully serve up advertising and also hype new <laughs> products. Um, because something that's really important to me with the show is that the advertising is tasteful mm -hmm. because it's, you know, it's in the name Penguin Magic. Like, you know, the, 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 one of the biggest magic companies in the world backs this podcast, right? So like, I don't have to worry about advertising for other right. things as long as I'm like mentioning the name of the, the people who, you know, pay for my microphones. Um, but it also, I wanted to give people an opportunity to promote products that may be on Penguin's website that people may not know about. Because there's like the whole partner program that people, like it's, yeah, Penguin produces stuff, but like people who are regular magicians who've produced, self-produced their own stuff, even their lecture notes or something can get it onto Penguin's partner program. And like, how do they get awareness out about that? Well, like the podcast was a great way for them to do mm -hmm. that. Um, and then I wanted to like, I wanted to not, I was, I was tired of a lot of the podcasts I was listening to in Magic. And I, I like, I don't mean this as an insult to them. It's just that like, I heard so many people t asking about like, where you came from. And so I just like made it a very early rule that like, unless there was an unusual circumstance, like, you know, hearing about Dan Sperry coming up through the com uh, the competition circuit was interesting. Because you don't think of like Dan Sperry, you know, his episode as of this taping is going to be coming out tomorrow. Oh, listen. You don't think but you don't think of Dan Sperry as like being a competition act. Right. Okay, but like, uh, that's where a lot of that came I from. I saw Dan Sperry at, um, um, that first magic convention I ever went to at Daytona magic. And he talks about that in this oh, episode. He talks about Daytona magic and appearing there because, as like being very influential. So, so the thing that was crazy, I hope this is okay for me to say it, but, um, I'm pretty sure he was like the first act. And yeah. it was absolutely incredible. And then when the closing, and I'm not going to say who because I don't want to be rude, but like I was mm -hmm. like so, I was like, I, I just did not like it. And I remember thinking like yeah. my brother and I talking afterwards, we were like, what, what was that? Like he was the best. I mean, he was the absolute the yeah. best. And we were seeing him at a magic convention that's not like maybe the most well known or that. I, I don't know. It's not, like it doesn't bring like a ton of people. It's small, yeah. and what we saw was absolutely. So I I used to always say like my favorite. I mean, my favorite magician was Dan Sperry because that was the first time I ever. That was my first real stage show I ever saw, and I was absolutely just speechless the whole time. I was just sat there with my mouth like wide yeah. open, like what, what, what? I mean, it was. And like finding out that some of like some of the early advice that like shaped that competition act that we all like eventually saw Dan Sperry do and finding out that a lot of that came from advice that he got from Sean Farquhar is like I can't think of two magicians who are farther <laughs> apart in style but finding out that connection and like how that's like it was Sean suggesting to 
Dan, like, hey, why are you wearing, like, a tuxedo and, like, looking like a normal person? Because you're in, like, a leather jacket with spiked hair and makeup right now. Like, this is you. You should do this. This is more authentic, right? Right. But, like... I mean, it's, I didn't, it's not... I it, didn't it, know he ever actually performed in Tuxedo. I only saw him. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. Because it's... And to me, that's actually what I remember telling my brother after the fact that what I loved so much about that show was that, you know, he looked like this rock star and he was like, kind of scary. And, like, yeah. he did this magic with, like, the, you know, uh, the, the razor... Like, swallowing the razor blades or the rope through the neck. And it fit that... Yeah. If you did it in a tuxedo, you'd be like, all right, whatever. But th- with the yeah. rock music, you know, I mean, I just remember the whole time just being like, yeah, like just so going. good. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm glad that someone gave him that advice because I literally can't imagine seeing that show with him in a tuxedo. Like I, I it, oh, it, love Dan Sperry. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, but early on, like the, like that is an interesting story to tell. Whereas like most magicians, like I, I think it's just like, oh yeah, I got a magic kid as a kid and I just like focused mm-hmm, on it. went mm-hmm. to IBM meetings. Um, like, yeah, I want to hear where, like, Daniel Garcia came from, um, but I just, like, there's a lot of magicians who, like, have very similar right. backgrounds and stories, right. and I was just like, that's not interesting, right. so I want to talk about, I want to talk about other things, mm-hmm. and, like, I have a conversation with people before I interview them, and I'm like, all right, so look, here's the deal. Um, if you have products that you need to promote, that's fine with me. The podcast is Switzerland. By the way, we carry everyone's stuff anyway. It's Penguin Magic. Mm-hmm. Like, if you ha- if you put something out with one of the other companies, it's likely on our site anyway, so feel free to promote it like it's fine is there something that you want to talk about that doesn't fit in the lecture that you just gave for penguin or won't fit in a product or that you really want to talk about but you would have to put it in a book and you don't have time to write in a book like what what is an idea you want to put out into there into the, in the magic space that that no one's talked about before mm-hmm. that you are very passionate about and so that's how you get conversations with like carissa hendrix talking about meta modernity or game theory in magic. That's how you get R. Paul Wilson talking about the internet in magic. Mm-hmm. That's how you get uh, Lance Burton talking to you about why joining the IBM is so important to magic, right? So those are those are the conversations that like I want to have. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a bit of like a, a sort of a, a, not really a history nerd, but like a book nerd with magics, like if I get to sit down with Chris Kenner, which I did, I want to hear about where Magic Man Examiner came from and like what it was like publishing a zine in the 80s for for like tell me that story. Um and so those are those are the stories that I get. And then I also I don't have a hard time limit on on half an hour like uh, other people do, but I do try and keep mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. shorter just because uh, the podcast comes out at Thursday on, at 5 p.m. Eastern time. It's drive time home after work. I want people to listen to this. And if if it means I have to split it up into a two-part episode, that's fine. And I'm not knocking any podcast yeah. that does that because there is totally that time and place for those conversations. So you do, you do go not what ours up is. to an hour? I thought, for some reason, I thought it was 15 minutes. Or did that change? Did it start off going to be shorter and then got longer? Or the, the interviews that I do are between 15 and 20 minutes. Uh, if it's going to start to go beyond that, I will extend it to between 40 minutes and an hour and then do a two-part okay, episode. Okay. Like, I did that with Jason England. Jason invited me to his home, and then on camera we looked at all of these, like, insane cheating props. <laughs> uh, like, actual stuff that have been used in card games. Uh, the video's on YouTube somewhere. It's really great. Uh, and that's a two-part episode. Uh, but the com- the most of the interviews that I do are between 15 okay, and 20 okay. minutes because the other thing that I found out is that um, not every magician you will meet is a sparkling conversationalist who can talk about stuff mm-hmm, forever. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, there were some early interviews that were like eight minutes and we ran out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, so it's just, so that's difficult. Right. So the show is also set up to have segments. So the one commercial we have in the show is uh, Nick LaCoppo and I talk about a featured download of the week that there's always a discount code for. It's nice. 25% off whatever we talk about. But we don't just like say like, man, this is the greatest card trick. We actually like take it apart right. and we're like, this is what's good about it. Right. Um, here's here's why this is an interesting effect and it also allows us to showcase stuff that either otherwise like might not have gotten mm -hmm. a lot of love like think wins mirror mirror i think is a really great card trick and i don't think a lot of people like got it for whatever reason i don't know if it just flew under the radar or whatever but i've featured that a couple times because it's like i also like because i control the commercials that go into it i also get to say like this is the magic that i want to feature to you guys mm -hmm. this is where i would like magic to go uh, and then we do stuff like, you know, Desert Island Magic Books. So I, it's a five-minute conversation where I ask someone, like, what they're basically what their favorite magic okay. book is and why it's their favorite nice. magic book. So it's it's uh, it's put together, like, it's got segments and it's a lot of fun. And, like, I've, I know some people who are not magicians who like listening to it because the magic lingo doesn't get too deep. Mm -hmm. um, because it's just because we, we have fun talking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's a w – my focus is that 2 a.m. conversation that you have at a convention after you've been up yeah. for three days and – that's so that's, great. That's where I'm that's at. That's so great. I yeah, love so that. Like, well. Yeah, but it was it was born out of just like going, there are magicians who are sitting around in our studio wearing yeah. microphones and they're bored. And this Let's is your idea to too, right? I mean, that's, yeah. 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 Right. I approached them and they gave me a lot of latitude and also a lot of free, they gave me a lot of freedom too. So like when coronavirus first started, I did some special episodes where I talked to magicians who'd gotten trapped on cruise ships that had cases of coronavirus. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's a to Tom Crosby episode is wild. Oh, I gotta listen to that. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it's man, th that episode is insane. Just because Tom like had just gotten off a boat that like no port would take them, Ooh. and finally they ended up in Cuba. It's crazy. Uh, and then there were some uh, there were some episodes that nice. I I got some really nasty messages about, but around the Black Lives Matter movement, um, when that happened. I, I said, you know, like, this is going on right now. We need to talk about this. So, um, but I'm like, I can't help but notice that I'm a cisgendered white dude. So even though I align myself with the cause that's going on right now, I know that I have not had the same experiences as African-Americans in this country. So I might not ask the right questions, but also I might not ask relevant mm -hmm. questions. So I reached out to Eric Jones and Randy Shine and Rory Rennick, and uh, and Eric Jones had, was already going to host a roundtable, and so I had Rory Rennick host another roundtable. And so there are two back-to-back roundtables of black magicians talking about what it's like mm. being black. One mm -hmm. of them is just hosted by Penguin. The other is a rebroadcast of an episode that Eric Jones did um, for the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. And uh, uh, so it's it's they've given me so much ability to be able to do like journalism mm -hmm, type mm -hmm. stuff with that where they're like hey this isn't related to penguin but these are important conversations that need to be had right, so right. we did the same thing with shazam you know i'm shazam and i advertise each other back and forth and uh we've done some stuff with shazam where it's like you know being a woman in magic and like what's going on there and we're like we get to deal with those topics that are difficult but necessary mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i have one last question for you um, and the question is, was there anything that you wish I had asked you about, um, or anything, um, yeah, like a, a question you wish I had asked? 
Um, I think may maybe I, I wish you'd ask me a little bit more about the streaming world, mm -hmm. just because that's become so important to my life. But also, I I had I think I have very def definitive opinions about it now that I'm doing it like professionally, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. Tell me about doing uh, streaming professionally. Then I would love to hear about that. Um, so I think like it should be noted that I, I live in two worlds in streaming, but also I don't do virtual magic. Okay. Um, I think like when the pandemic hit, uh, I think every magician in the world like freaked out because suddenly they couldn't do shows anymore, which is rightfully so. Right. And then, people started doing virtual mm -hmm. shows and the early virtual shows were very bad. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, this has all happened in the past nine mm -hmm, months. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kept listening to people uh, talking on podcasts and pontificating on Facebook and going like, well, no one's ever had to entertain um, through a camera before like this. Like no one's ever had to interact with an audience through a camera. And I thought to myself, like, that's not entirely true. Because uh, I watched a lot of Twitch mm -hmm. over the years, and Twitch, you know, Twitch is primarily known for video game mm -hmm. streamers, and I and I watched people like as, as a matter of fact, you and I are talking right now. We're also broadcasting this on my Twitch channel, and uh, somebody who I frequently watch, Queen Chanlin, has actually just popped into the chat and said she's lurking at me, <laughs> and I will just call out Queen because Queen is one of the people that I watch, but Queen is very good at interacting with her mm -hmm, chat. Mm -hmm. She's very good at interacting and entertaining people through a camera who are not able to necessarily give stuff back to her or the only way that they can give energy back to her as an entertainer is that uh, is through a text chat right. that's on the side of the wall that she may or may not see. Um, sorry, I'm a little parched. Mm. Uh, and so th that is, she is entertaining people. Mm -hmm. Twitch streamers are entertaining people. Whether or not they're doing magic, right, is they're, they're, they are entertaining people. So I went, okay, well, that's not true. People have entertained in this format before. They've just never done magic necessarily in this, uh, this form outside of like the early, uh, the early Max Maven stuff or the, uh, like some of the David Blaine stuff, right? But they're still fundamentally entertaining someone who's there, but they're also making it play for a television show. So the, so I went, well, that's not right. So I started getting into streaming, and it, it was mostly video games was that I was streaming because I play games, um, and I was like, let's let's have fun with this. Mm -hmm. So my early efforts in streaming were not around creating a streaming magic show, but they were around seeing, figuring out how this technology works, exploring it, creating as high a production value as I can mm -hmm. without, like, going crazy. I ended up going crazy. <laughs> as we're talking here, you can see I've got, like, I'm well lit. I've got a nice camera. My mic sounds good. Um, and I have a very high production value in this. So that, that's, been, that's been very fun because that turned into a Dungeons & Dragons stream that happens every Thursday night where I get to, I get to play D&D with Carissa Hendricks and Katie Osborne, who are two fantastic magicians, as well as Rory Eustace and Jackie uh, Sleeves, who are two wonderful comedians. And so that's just a lot of fun. That was another like technical challenge to overcome because I had to bring six people into something. And there's just like a lot of the stuff is like you figure it out on YouTube, mm -hmm. right? So uh, there's there's some wonderful like how to set up a virtual magic studio uh, products out there, but really everything you need to learn is on YouTube and on f like internet forums. Uh, this sort of dovetailed with Penguin Magic because uh, Nick Lacapo and I uh, were hanging out with Nick Popa, who also works at Penguin Magic. We were hanging out in the studio and we were talking about how uh, 
the the early penguin lectures used to be live streamed i don't know if people remember this or not but you used to be able to like watch the lecture on penguin's site mm-hmm. and then live tweet in questions to people oh that's cool yeah so yeah which was interesting and and as and so we we were looking to see if that infrastructure was there cuz we went well we could probably go live from the studio uh because Nick and I had done a couple of podcast episodes that were basically the top 20. We looked at the top 20 of whatever was the best sellers at Penguin every week. And then we talked about it and we talked about the podcast. And then we decided, well, let's try it on Instagram. Um, and the first like live stream we did from the studio was literally Nick Popa holding Lacapo's phone, doing an Instagram live and like turning it back and forth as we would talk. It was awful. It was terrible. <laughs> So then we were like, well, what if we did this? What if we could use the in-house cameras? Could we use this phenomenal theater that is set up to film, professionally film things? And could we broadcast to Facebook? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I think I can. Um, I know how to get us, I know how to get my cameras on Twitch at home. There's no way that I couldn't do that here. And it was literally like a week of us just going, and we didn't like ask permission. We just did it. We were just like, let's see if we can do this. And, uh, and we flew into the radar for like six weeks. And every week we were adding like new production value to the show. So first it was like, can we get on Facebook? Okay, let's do the top 20 countdown on Facebook. And then like, we'll just switch the cameras back and forth. All we want to do is be able to get all of the cameras and be able to like use a wide shot and then two cross shots so we can go back and forth. And then we were like, let's do it again. But like, could we, could we bring a guest on? Like, could we get someone on from like Skype? And we did that. And so we had, uh, I think in like the second or third show, we had um, Mr. Tango. And then we're like, oh, okay, that works. And then we were like, well, we want it to look better. So now, if you, so then if you watch like the third or fourth episode, I think these are all still on like YouTube or Facebook. In the third or fourth episode, we added graphics. And it, like Nick LaCapa went crazy and designed what essentially is the ESPN of magic. I mean, there is like a bar going over across the side. There's a counter nice. on the top. There's like a lower thirds graphic. And then we were like, and so then we're just like going back and forth. And then we started adding videos. So we're like, now we're cutting up demos. And then I think in our sixth week, we had Juan Tamarez on the show, which was like, okay, that just happened. That's we huge. Put Juan Tamarez. That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, and that that is around the time that management noticed. And they were like, you guys are posting these weird videos. <laughs> you guys are streaming live. Like, what are you doing? A, how much time are you spending on this? Because you guys have jobs. Uh, but we were like, well, we, we thought this would be fun and we wanted to do it and uh, we think it's adding value and we want to see if we can drive sales with it. And they were like, oh, yeah. And so then we actually like put a team together that was like, what does this look like on a weekly basis and how can we actually save customers money? And that's how it's evolved into Coolbox Live. Where now we're like, you know, and like I hate to pitch the show too much, but like you, when you watch the show, a promo code comes up and whatever we're talking about, you can get 25% off on and a lot of it is older products. Some of it's newer products. Um, we, like It was like two weeks ago, Nick and I were in Salt Lake City. We figured out that we could broadcast using a single laptop in a theater that we were doing across the country that like barely had internet. It was wild that we were still able to produce a very high-quality high show. Uh, but we had a product on there that was like just came out called Mental Dice, and we were able to offer it for 25% off. So it was like 75 bucks off this trip, nice. which is like crazy yeah. that we were able to do that. Um and it's evolved into something where Nick and I can do it from our homes. So, like, actually, like, where you and I are talking mm-hmm. is, like, where I do the Penguin broadcast from. And it's actually, it's it's better now because it's, 
Because when it was in the studio, like people didn't always know we were live. They kind of thought they were like watching like a pre-tape thing because it was really polished. We were like moving TVs around and had suits and there was like a desk. And so some of the scenes we were standing and some of the scenes we were sitting, it was nuts. It was way too much. But now it like feels more like like a stream because right. like we're at home, like our headphones are on. You can clearly tell that we're like live. We're able to interact with the chat. And uh and it's it's neat, and I don't think that there's anything else in magic like mm-hmm. it. I think that there are people streaming in magic and they're and they're doing review shows or they're doing interview shows, which are great. But we're this strange combination of like QVC review show and like light entertainment because we interact with the chat. We've got people who pop into the YouTube chat who are probably not magicians. We went live yesterday. Uh, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, and we literally had someone come into the uh, the chat on Twitch who had never, they were like, what is this? They stumbled upon the show, and they saw us talking about a John Bannon trick. And then they were like, okay, I'm going to go buy it. So we literally watched as a magician was born wow. on the spot, like in the stream. That's it was, really it, cool. It, it was wild. So it's just been it's been neat. I don't think I'm ever going to stop streaming. It has been so just an insane, with you, an insane amount of fun. But with yeah. you and Penguin, um, what you're doing that is through Twitch, like that, like, and then it gets put to other like Twitch is where it's live. Does that make sense? Like, uh, so it's with the Penguin stream. It is live on Facebook and YouTube. It's probably going to go live on Twitch soon. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry, I thought you were starting on Twitch. No, no. Okay. Um, so I personally exclusively stream to twitch i stream on tuesdays thursdays and fridays uh i got different things i stream on those days and i usually stream after like 10 p.m you know like i'm still awake my my lady partner goes to bed the dog needs to stay up and get medication so the dog and i like play video games and stream and talk to random Mm. strangers tuesday thursday and friday uh we stream dungeons dragons with uh, carissa Hendricks on on thursday that all happens exclusively on twitch gotcha the Penguin stream happens simultaneously on Facebook and wow, YouTube, okay. which is like kind of wild that we're able right. to go to two platforms at once. Uh, Tuesday, we decided to add my personal Twitch just because we could. Like Nick and I are still in this like weird realm of like proof of concept. Mm-hmm. What can we do? Mm-hmm. Like, can we also add Twitch to the mix? And so instead of like setting up a Penguin Twitch, uh, we just like put mine in because okay. mine already had like a built-in audience and like I already knew all those special codes and everything like to get into it so it was pretty easy uh but um you uh I think we're gonna start a penguin twitch just to like put that in there because it was neat to like you know on Facebook and YouTube it's on the penguin accounts right okay. so everyone knows that it's there but like the twitch discovery process is different so we're we're gonna be talking to so people will come in via twitch who are not magicians right who just like be like what are these two crazy guys with all these insane graphics and it's about magic tricks and like it could turn into something cool over there right, so right. uh so we're going to i think we're going to i think we're going to play around in twitch um you know nick might do some twitch stuff too cuz he's big into hearthstone so streaming's not going away right and that's the one thing that i've learned is that like vir- i am i have chosen not to do virtual magic um i'm not that's not saying i won't ever do virtual magic i think that you know vaccines around the corner. I'm going to be able to do live shows again. I can't wait to do live lectures. I love doing virtual lectures. I've done virtual lectures for a bunch of magic clubs. I've done a virtual lecture for Magicians Without Borders and some kids in Columbia who were on phones donated from like the local cell shops or whatever, like 
really underprivileged kids like doing magic to stay out of gangs. Aww. I did a lecture for them virtually that was great. It was so much fun. Um, and I'd love to do more virtual lectures, but virtual shows are not really something I'm interested in because I want to explore a whole other world mm-hmm. of streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I'm seeing some great virtual magic and some great uh, some great virtual magic because I think what we've discovered is that the virtual the virtual space is a new venue that magicians haven't ever played with before, right? right? Like, right. and it's a new it's a new area where you have to learn new rules, right? So uh, it's like if a magi- if a close up magician becomes a stage magician, they have to learn a whole new set of rules. Same with a close a stage magician going to close up. Now, anyone who's going to do magic in the virtual space. There's just a new set of rules you have to learn, but we don't know what all those rules are right. yet. So we're going to see some really cool, yes. really new, really cutting-edge magic. And uh, I kind of want to see where that goes. Yeah. But I want to explore some other stuff first. So. Right, right. That's I, I like that. And I think it's really important what you're doing because you, you are a part of virtual magic, but from a different... You're not doing a, 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 a magic show, but you're also you are doing a magic show like the same time it's it's yeah. a show yeah. about magic it's different but magic chat yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and so i think that's cool because i think we need all of those things we need the virtual magic shows and we also need someone discussing magic and making it more accessible to people and helping like widen that door a little bit you know and getting more people yeah. involved because i i love getting to be a part of the community myself from just a different you know from like being an outsider on the inside you know so i like that everyone can come in and and play their own part um in this community because this is a really cool fun community i think that's why i love the slighted podcast (laughs) is because you ask questions that i would never think to ask when it's one magician talking to another and so having like a non-magician talk about that talk about two magicians i think is one of the most interesting things about Slighted, and I can't wait to hear. To I can't, I'm glad you're back because you were my favorite <laughs> podcast before you went dark. Well, thank you very much, and I'm. I think you know it's helpful to be back in America because being you know in a complete like the opposite time zones. I did try like to make stuff work, and then I was like, this is a mess. This is a total mess. So I am happy to be back, and I can't wait to pick your brain because I know you've got a lot of experience right now that's going to be really cool to talk off Anytime. camera. So yeah. with that being said, I think I'm going to say goodbye now. And um, I had a great time and that was an awesome interview. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and thanks to everyone who's watching this on Twitch right now. We got a, we got a bunch of people who were like saying weird stuff, really? but uh, we're going to, we're going to take off and I will, I'm going to, I'm going to shut down the stream and then you and I can chat off camera. Thanks everyone for listening to the slighted show. Music was brought to you by Luca Sommerfeld, a longtime listener. Thank you again, Luca, for your contribution to the podcast. That's all, folks. We'll see you next week.